0: morning, saints. Uh, today's scripture reading will be coming from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Morgan. Good morning, Christ Central Church. All of our guests. Um, happy belated Thanksgiving. Or as we said in my grandmother's house growing up, happy belated Turkey Day. And uh, some of you are still high off of the trip to Finn. And uh, <laughs> it's got you. Uh, I know it got me a little bit and I was excited to pull up to a table and find plenty of food there. Thank you, Brown family, for inviting our family over to eat with y'all uh, for Thanksgiving, and we enjoyed ourselves a lot, a lot. Um, so I know some of you are probably still recovering uh, from that, but it's good to know that uh, most of us had some place to go. And by the way, in our church, we like to invite you uh, over to other people's homes. So if last week, this past week, you were not with anyone, maybe you're new to Charlotte, um, you know, and you just haven't had any place to go, and you weren't anywhere this past week, uh, we, want, we want to make sure that doesn't happen to you again. Um, just let talk to anybody in our church, and they'll connect you to someone who's got an extra seat at the table, and uh, we'll find room for you so that you have a place to be on this holiday. Uh, we are about to move into, as uh, Brad alluded to, we're about to move into Christmas. Uh, no, I was so excited because I, I, <laughs> this is bad, this is nerdy. Um, but I, I went on, a, I was a, on, turned on the television, was it yesterday? And I realized that there are two, not one, but two Hallmark channels. And this is the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. I had no idea that this thing existed, so I'm like, "Oh, what?" And so I turned it on. I had it on the TV, was just like watching the whole family all morning because they had all these like cute little love stories and everything. And you know, it's nice, it's refreshing because it's, it's syrupy. It's got a lot of saccharin and stuff, but you know, it's what is, but it's family friendly, right? And you got the, and you know what you're gonna get when you watch a Hallmark movie, uh, and then it always ends with the mistletoe or something like that, and then the families get back together. But um, I was so excited to see that that was on. But Christmas is upon us already, right? We just had a Black Friday and people were out shopping. Some of you probably said, yeah, I, I experienced Black Friday and I survived, I'm still here. You went out there shopping, and you did your thing, your Christmas shopping is done, I envy you. Um, but, and then, um, you know, others of you got to rest, but you already know with the commercials, the sales, the increased traffic and all that stuff that the Christmas season is upon us. Starting next Sunday, we're actually going to, uh, we'll go into a mini sermon series on Advent. Now, a lot of you are familiar with Advent, but some of you don't know what that is. And briefly, I'll just tell you this, that Advent comes from a Latin word, which means coming. And it was an occasion that was developed at, we know that it was at least developed by the fifth century um, by the early church. Um, and that it was an opportunity to to anticipate, and to first anticipate Jesus coming back again, but also to celebrate his first coming. So Advent was a season to be able to focus on the coming of Jesus, and particularly in the nativity scene, right? So we get a lot of that during Christmas. So Some of those nativity scenes are a little culturally challenged, I'll put it that way, but... Um, but but you know, but it's but it's but it's there. we're used to seeing it right it's on people's lawns some of you are already probably putting it out in your grass and stuff and your neighbors probably love you for it hopefully they do um, for putting that nativity scene out in your grass. but during advent we you know so we look at Christ's first coming you know, particularly as we look at the nativity scene but then also his second coming and we also in, in, in advent there's there's light involved, And right? so if you've observed this season before, this celebration, you know that some, some traditions have an Advent wreath, which is basically a Christmas wreath, and then there are candles that you light for each week. And, and the reason why light is such a big thing is because, metaphorically speaking, we live in darkness. Right? There's still trouble in the world, right? There's still suffering. And um, just as you heard testify today in, in the baptism of, of Levi and Taylor. Right as Jason talked about, that still, it, we're still broken. And so there's hope for us during the season because the light of the world is coming into the world and has come to save us. And so in, in Advent, and, and also this year, of course, as you can tell um, just from uh, our weather and all that sort of deal, this is a time of year right when it gets darker. So it's just naturally darker and just, uh, seasonal affective disorder starts to set in and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, so it's nice to know that there's some hope, that there's some light at the end of the tunnel, that it's coming. But we also remember that during the season that the light has already come, and there's something for us to hold on to until the fullness of what God has promised comes. So that this would be an opportunity for you uh, within the next few weeks, since next Sunday is the beginning of the Advent season, um, to just bring your friends. Uh, those of you have friends who uh, don't really... Uh, attend church that often or or, or are kind of curious about Christianity and may go on to to an Easter service or may come during Christmas, Uh, we have a Christmas mini-series or an Advent series which is starting next week. So I want to encourage you to bring your friends and to come on out for that. And if you can't make it, just be sure to go online and download and you can uh, keep abreast of what's been going on. So the text that you heard, wonderfully read this morning by Morgan, It's a familiar one to us, isn't it? It's a familiar one to our entire country in a lot of different ways for different reasons. But as we hear this text, we're being called to something. We're being called to rejoice. We're being called to let our hearts be filled with wonder. Now, someone once said that wonder is to wisdom what flavor is to cooking. That wonder is to wisdom what flavor is is to cooking. So, I, I don't know what that Thanksgiving experience was like for some of you last week, but for some people, you didn't have much joy while you ate, because there wasn't much flavor to it, right? Um, you know, and, 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 this, and, and there's this, you know, and it's the same way, it can be the same way with wisdom, that we can know a whole lot, but without wonder, it's just bland, right? We can be very skillful, but be the, sort of like sourpusses, you know, people who know how to control things, but with inwardly we're wrestling all the time with bitterness and anxiety. Right? Wonder gives us what we need in order to live wise lives joyfully. The right codes and, and right behavior without vitality and growth is no good to us. We want to live better. We want a, a vibrant faith. And the scripture tells us, as we follow the shepherds, that Joy comes through beholding, being present to what is right in front of us that perhaps we might be able to taste and see the, the, the transcendent glory which is right behind everything. But do we have eyes to see? And that's easier said than done. So I think there are a couple of things that we, that in this text that could help us this morning. That Two things I'll point out, a condition... For joy, and then also a reason to rejoice, and I think there are two reasons that are given here. So, there's a condition for joy, and there's a reason to rejoice, particularly in this nativity scene of Jesus. So, let's follow the shepherds and see what joy awaits us. Now, remember that joy is one of the fruits of the spirit, and if you studied that passage, Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two, you realize that. These fruits, or this fruit of the Spirit, is of the Spirit. In other words, it's an involuntary experience. It's not something that we can just work on and keep working on, and then it comes. And joy is part of that fruit. So it's an involuntary experience, but there are ways in which we can make ourselves available to it. And I believe that this text also shows us that we are commanded to pursue it. We are commanded to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. And then the condition for joy is to learn how to be still. We have to learn how to be still, to, even to practice a little bit of silence, to know the beauty of solitude even, to be present to what's right in front of us. Look at verse 8. It says, talking about the shepherds, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, and what were they doing? they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Being still in the fields, you see. Paying attention in your work and also in your leisure. Paying attention in your suffering. Paying attention in your comfort. Watching the flock by night on a regular basis, these shepherds would have become acquainted with the stars and the planets and the shades between dusk and dawn, and the nocturnal life of many creatures, and, and, and even any, anything from like insects to different mammals that were around them. And also, well, dangerous ones too, like lions and bears. And their lives are marked by stillness, with hearts trained to become alert to the terror of the night, but also alive to the beauty that is there in the darkness being watchful, being prayerful about our lives. What is going on under the surface? What is going on right before us? Attentiveness, not distracting ourselves, right, or or numbing ourselves to the reality in which we live, but being attentive, being still, asking the Lord for insight, And is it any wonder that these shepherds were some of the first to see the light? Verse 16, it says, And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Glorified and pra- glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They were still, they witnessed, they heard, they rejoiced. And why, why would they rejoice over such humiliation? And the humiliation I speak of here is, right. It's, it's, this is the Savior, the one who comes as a baby, and he's lying in a, a manger, a feeding trough. Why would they rejoice over this kind of humiliation? Why, why, what did they behold in this feeding trough for animals? First, these two things, and I think these are the reasons to rejoice. First one is this, that, that God is actually moving in with us. Think about that for a minute. Now, God is, you make no mistake about it, God has always been among us, right? He's, he's always been our, but he's coming in a new way that will change everything. God is moving into the hood. God, God's agent for turning the world right side up. Jesus, the Messiah, the, the one who had all blessing for his good creation in his hands is coming. Blessing will finally come through a ruler for all nations, right? As the scriptures, the angels announce that this is good news for all the people. Now, the idea of God or the concept or the, just the, the thought of God taking up permanent residence with us can sound great at first, but for some of us, it should make us a little uneasy, and I include myself in that, right? Because th- think about this, right? So it's one thing, maybe teenagers, you would know this example I'm about to share. Like, what, it's one thing if your parents know who your friends are, but it's another thing when they get all chatty and conversational with them, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, you know, all of a sudden your parents, it's like the crossing of two different worlds, the mingling, and you know, all. like, oh, what? Right, because what's that anxiety? Like when your parents start getting around your friends and start talking to them, it's, it's like, can I, can, can I trust my parents with my reputation? Are they going to embarrass me? Are they going to say something I don't want my friends to know, right? Like can, can mom and dad handle me well? Being all in the midst of my business, all in my world. And if God moves in as one of us, what will he do? What, 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 what will happen to us can God, will God handle us well? Do you see the anxiety? But then we need to remember the Jesus, not as a baby in the manger, but then also when he is grown, and what do we see? This is the Jesus who healed, the Jesus who empathized with the poor and the oppressed, the Jesus who embraced others, who fought for those who could not fight for themselves. The Jesus who taught those who probably, as we witnessed already this morning, even children. The Jesus who served others, the Jesus who sacrificed himself for sinners, the Jesus who forgave all for their sins. See, unlike the, the emperor during that time, right, as we heard in this text with Caesar Augustus, right, the, you know, who, who inaugurated this thing called the Pax Romana, Roman peace, after he you know, had you know, Julius Caesar was dead, right? It, it instituted this Pax Romana, this Roman peace, but it was done through domination and manipulation. But Jesus' kingdom is not like that. Jesus is the, as the, the king of kings who had come. It's just amazing. He was born during the same time as the one who was called the prince of peace by the world. The true prince of peace had been born in that time. God moves in through Jesus Christ, and he is personally and truly invested in our personal welfare. But will all people have access to what Jesus is going to bring or only some people, some humans? See, if you're a shepherd, you're probably asking yourself this question because people know that shepherds weren't the wealthiest people in the land. And they probably going to invite it to all the parties. You know, smell like sheep. They've been out in the fields all day, all night, walking around, you know, messy. You know, probably dropping a couple of choice words every now and then. You know, embarrassing you in front of your parents. You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, why would the shepherd, the shepherds want to, would we be included in this? And you, and you know, ask yourself about this too, because It's usually those who are wealthy that get all the benefits, the medical coverage and the best education and help for your daily needs. You know, I was just driving through Noda the other day where our church used to congregate. And, And, you know, you see all the different developments going up around there. And I remember when Mecklenburg Mills used to have people in it. And now a couple of new things going up. New benefits for the neighborhood, but now all are included, right? We have neighbors who are asking the same question now as these shepherds. Will we be included? Will we get the benefits of being gentrified after we've kept watch over our neighbors and over our children, night after night, keeping them safe from crossfire and from exploitation and from brutality and hunger? Good news for these shepherds That through Christ, the answer is yes, you will get the benefits. The angels came to them first and announced the news of the coming king. The gospel was preached first to the poor. But also in our own eyes, we see God's chosen one as a helpless little baby among working class parents in a space reserved for animals. So whatever God intends is definitely to the advantage of the poor and the powerless. See, for them, this was, this was bigger than, than any performance that would, that would accompany the birth of any emperor, right? This, you know, this would have happened today, and some emperor was born, you'd probably have a DJ or something like that, you'd have paparazzi, You know, all kinds of, you know, I mean, Instagram would be blowing up, all that kind of stuff. There'd be parties in the mansion with the infinity pool and uh, exotic cars, you know, all out in the driveway and, you know, people having their best clothes on. But what do we see here? Just hay, manure, family, storytelling, and prayer and praise. God has sent us a Savior who will bring a peaceful kingdom for both the attractive and the ordinary. Both the attractive and the ordinary. And when becoming like one of us, when God, through Christ, chose to become like one of us, he showed us that his intention is not to leave us. So he roots himself in our material world. But look, there's something else happening here. He also roots himself in us. That's another reason for our joy, that God, through Jesus Christ, roots himself within us. So to say it another way, God is moving into the hood, and he means to keep us here. So look at this scene again through the shepherd's eyes, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, when the shepherds got there, they would, they would have recognized what they saw before them. Mary and Joseph who were there in a manger, in a space that was created for animals. But they also would have gotten sort of the metaphorical picture, if you will, Mary and Joseph, adoring Jesus like a sheep adores their lamb, holding them in the manger, right? And the the shepherds had seen many lambs being sacrificed. But if you know anything about um, how the the religious people of this time, uh, uh, you know, worship the Lord, you know that one of the requirements was that they had to bring sacrifices to the temple in order to make atonement. For their sins. And shepherds were those who were used to seeing, you know, raising up lambs and then seeing these lambs having to be sacrificed. Some of them maybe had a relationship to them, were thinking, like, oh, this is like my little child, like my, my it's, it's like my pet, it's like Fifi or my little dog or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, well, somebody needs someone or something as a substitute for their sins. So my lamb is gone. And they were used to seeing that. Used to seeing. So as they are staring into this manger, they get the picture that John the Baptist declares later on when he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But there's never been a lamb like this before, and there never will be. And the shepherds, as they're looking into this the scene, and they're beholding Jesus and they're beholding Mary and Joseph. They couldn't fully understand what they were beholding. And a lot of times, neither can we. They couldn't fully know what was happening, but they had some idea. And Mary herself certainly pondered this, right? And she, she wondered. She was taking it in. So she pondered it in her heart. See? Being still, present, taking it in. What's happening? Mary pondered these things in her heart, and so should we. How could a holy God come to this place, this messed up world, and set up something peaceful and holy, and then not displace any of us? That's the question, right? Because that may sound like an offensive question, Right, to ask, you think, you know, and, but and that's not a question just for religious conservative folk. Because most books and films that are exploring this, this concept of dystopia, you know, a world that is just slowly but surely getting worse, or post, post-apocalyptic kind of stuff, shows like uh, The Walking Dead, or movies like The Hunger Games, right, they're, they're asking if the world would truly be a better place if we could just push the reset button. Right? Or is evil, in other words, it rests with the question, is evil a structural issue, or is it something that is native to our humanity? Scripture tells us, yes. Right? Both and. And if God's king rebuilds our geopolitical systems, but does nothing about our nature, then who could remain? Right? So God provides a lamb that is sufficient for the sins of the entire world. And instead of scrapping all of the earth because of our sin, God decides to bring heaven down to it. He created in us a desire for his kingdom, and then he made a way for us to escape being displaced and to be included. So we're moving from idolatry and injustice toward holiness and righteousness by the grace of God, the sheer grace of God through Jesus the Messiah. His desire is for you, and it's for me. His desire is for us to be a part of his kingdom. We should be displaced because of our sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, gave up his son to make us holy and acceptable in his sight. See, in Jesus, we find heaven itself coming to earth. And those of us who are in Christ have a part of God's future. Behold the Lamb of God who secures God's promise of the kingdom for all of humanity. Scriptures are telling us that through Jesus, we are being made new. We are being reborn through him. New creatures who are able to live in a new creation. Look at verse 18 with me. Luke's reporting this, he says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here's what you have to get, or what you need to be able to see. See your Heavenly Father holding you in his arms and delighting in you. Filled with pride. I made her. He's saying. What will she become? I look forward to watching her grow and being there when she needs me. I look forward to showing her the way and giving her hugs. She is mine. And I am hers forever. God is pondering over you. The angels are pondering over you. Think about that every time you slow down long enough to enjoy the changing of the leaves. Think about that. And as you delight in the beautiful things in a broken world, God delights in you even more than these things. We have reason to be joyful if we have eyes to see, to see that God is coming and that we get to stay here. And maybe we're saying, that's nice, right? Um, but where does the joy really come from? Where, where, where does the joy really come from with this? After all, when Luke wrote this, wasn't he writing to believers who had already come to know Christ? Right? After he had already gone to the cross and risen from the dead, he was resurrected and ascended. And we, like them, are living on the so-called other side of the cross. So why would someone on this side of things rejoice at the nature of Jesus' birth? Because the atonement is already being completed. So we believe that. It's what we preach. It's what we share in God's church. That The work is already done. He said it is finished, right? But, you know, we look back and we say, oh, yeah, I see it. You know, Jesus, he really is the the spotless Lamb of God who takes away my sins. But all this stuff from the angels and about the, about the Messiah and peace on earth, that's yet to be seen. Right? And I mean, in a sense, there is peace on earth right now. You know, for those who are in Christ, right, and those on whom, as the Scripture says, his favor rests and uh, there, there's a joy that comes with it from knowing that your sins are forgiven. But what, could, what else could peace right now look like? I want to suggest a couple of things. I think peace right now, we, can, we realize that we have something right now. And uh, a couple of personal ways and maybe even another way that we could practice as a community. Let me explain. So if what is proclaimed here is true. If God really has provided a sacrifice for our sins and that those who believe in him will get to share in God's future, right, now and forever, then right now in the present, I no longer need to hold myself in self-contempt, right? I no need to no longer need to hold myself in self-contempt because God looks on me with pity and love. Right, one of the things that kills joy is contempt of yourself. Am I not right about that that what I mean is it an easy way to get rid of any opportunity to experience joy is to sit in shame and self-contempt. But if what Christ has done is real, then self-contempt can go see the door because I have peace with my creator, the standard of holiness and righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who is the judge. Then if what he has done is real and we have come to believe in him, then we've lost the right to condemn ourselves. And we must now move on from that place and begin to see the beauty that is in the darkness. You have to move on. I know it's easier said than done. I, I know that, that 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 sounds good on the surface. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm, I'm here for, the, you know, getting rid of the self-contempt and stuff. But eh, during the week, you look back on your life, that's really hard, isn't it? Sometimes we're motivated to to hold on to that kind of stuff. You know, There's a. sometimes we can embrace a victim mentality and, you know, this gives me a sense of power because, you know, if, 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 if I'm always seeing myself as less than and just dirt, then I never have to answer to anyone else's demands. I don't have to do anything. If I'm always the one that is in need and I'm, the, I'm always the one that's down, down here and whatever God is maybe calling me to do, calling me to a higher level, and walking with him, and giving myself away in ordinary but mighty ways to other people, I cannot do if I'm constantly living in self-contempt. So it's easier said than done. I think another way that we're able to experience this peace on earth that opens the way to joy in the here and now, is that we have to remember that Peace with God opens the way for true reconciliation with one another. As Christ himself said, and we heard just the other week, he who is forgiven little, loves little. So the more we walk away from self-contempt and into God's unending love for us, as we really are, as we really are, not, not who we think we are, as we really are, the stronger our love becomes for other people as they are. So pursuing reconciliation in your family, and beyond, in different circles, especially among those who can't offer you what you want, like small children, or friends who are outside of your inner circle, or those who are culturally different from you, right? This, As Christ frees us, we then can pursue true reconciliation with others in our family and beyond as we see who We're becoming, right? Are are, are, are we subjects of Caesar? The one who rules through manipulation and bitterness and anxiety? Or are we sons of the living God? Daughters of the king? The one who leads not for his own advantage, but through compassion for others? Do you see that? Now here's a, here's this, this last thing that I think we maybe need to think about as so we think about experiencing the peace of God in the hearing now that leads to the joy that God desires to give to us. This requires a little bit of a holy imagination. Um, maybe we as a community can seek ways to minimize displacement in the neighborhoods that we inhabit. See, because God is coming to gentrify the world. Do you realize that? Right? Heaven is coming to earth. And our evangelizing is about, minimizing the amount of displacement, right? We want to see other people give their lives to Christ, come in, so that when God comes and sets everything up, they're not left out. It's our Lord himself who commissioned us to do that. And so what disturbs me, and I believe disturbs many of you about our situation, not just in cities all over America, but right here in Charlotte, Right. If we talk about the Crescent and the wedge, you know, if you heard about all that stuff and what's going on in West Charlotte and just a couple, just a mile or two just outside these doors. What, what, what disturbs me and what disturbs some of us is the idea that there were new and flourishing communities of Christ. Flourishing communities of Christ, church plants, new churches being set up, popping up like pop up shops. Right. And and moving next door to each other in so-called cool neighborhoods. Where they get, like, all the amenities, and the, 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 the cafes and the skate shops and the tattoo parlors and, and the the breweries, you know, left and right, brewery here, brewery there, brewery, 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 you know, and then a, a new church right in the middle, you know? Now, we used to say, like, back in the day in my, my old neighborhood, it was like, oh, yeah, in the hood, what do you see, you know? Um, Check cash, 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 Chinese restaurant, check cash, check cash, Chinese restaurant, right? But we but we're seeing like booty shop, booty shop, boutique shop, boutique shop, church. What's going on? See what we're moving in. Don't we all want better neighborhoods? Don't we all want better schools? Don't we all want less crime? Don't we all want clean water and clean playgrounds? We want Cooperation between small businesses and large ones. And so when you see these things uh, happening in your neighborhood, you, you rejoice. You're like, wow, economic reinvestment. This is amazing. Wow, a new kingdom has finally come. But then you get the eviction notice. And this is happening all over our city. All over. Some people don't even get a notice before they're displaced. Gone. But that's not how our God is with us. Instead, he converts us and he makes us into new creatures and incorporates, get this, he actually incorporates who we already are. He incorporates our gifts and our struggles and our stories into his new creation. And what I am saying is that whole communities are experiencing the rehumanizing power of God's grace, but certain people groups are being excluded because they are most at risk of being displaced. And let's face it, the people most at risk, at least in this country, are ones that don't have enough resources and often have a particular skin color. There's a racial dynamic. But we're also talking about students and young families who are just getting their feet off the ground and the elderly who have shed blood for those communities. We have an opportunity for racial and economic reconciliation. And it's time for us to talk and to move into action so my heart is one of the, your pastors, one of the pastors of this church is to see a joyful church that cares about both minimizing the displacement of our neighbors and including those who are at risk in the life of Christ. I mean, we, we have accounts of reconciliation and, and renewal you know, in various social levels in our city. I mean, it's, it's, things are happening, right? And due to the power of the gospel, we know that this, wait. This isn't just you know folks working really hard, but God is in this. You know He's He's at work. But here's where we get back to our original discussion about the news of Jesus' birth, this nativity scene. The angels announced peace on earth. Two thousand years after Jesus' first coming, we still have wars, we still have diseases, we still have natural disasters. Look what just happened in California. Hungry children, sexual abuse, PTSD, and the list goes on and on. Where's the peace from our enemies? Where's the peace from our material world? After all, wasn't that part of the reason for God's becoming a material being? But think about that. God becoming a human being. See, Be like the shepherds here. Be like the angels. Be like Mary and and think about that. We're talking about an infinite personal being becoming human. And not just human, but a helpless newborn baby at that. Right? So, pardon me here, this sounds offensive, but if God can still be God while having his bottom wiped by his mother, then what on earth can God not do? And if by and through this great miracle of becoming man, God has secured peace for those who don't deserve his favor, then what can stop God from granting those same people eternal life and a new creation? Christ would have us be made new creatures first, before entering into the new creation. But if you have peace with God and you are experiencing the joyful fruits of that peace, then the peaceful kingdom is your destiny. The angels say, rejoice. For Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Mary says, rejoice. For we overhear our Savior praying, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Does God's favor rest on you? That's the question. And if so, you have every reason to rejoice in this present darkness. Because this present darkness is not the last word. The peace of Christ is on earth, but it's just the beginning. For the apostle John also says, rejoice, for he beheld and he testified that he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am coming to make all things new he who testifies to these things said, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Advent is coming, my friends. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, in this season, you are beginning to renew hope in our hearts. You hold it out to us. as That beautiful song tells us a a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. (sighs) Father, we want to be thrilled once again. Lord, help us to have eyes to see. We don't want to look at the birth of Jesus and to look at, uh, what, what he has done his life, and, and, and just feel apathetic about it. Well, Lord, what Jesus has done has had real and true consequences for us and for our communities. We pray, O oh God, that you would ignite within us a peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that cannot be taken away, and a hope that can only be fulfilled in your soon-incoming King. And we pray, oh God, that as these next weeks unfold themselves and whatever awaits us, whether it's suffering or trials or many things that would cause us to celebrate, we pray that we would be found in you, that you would help us to remain at your feet, walking with you, being still. Beside you, allowing you to ponder over us just as Mary and Joseph pondered over Christ. Allowing us to experience your tenderness as we walk away from self-contempt, as we walk deeper into true reconciliation with others, and as we seek to see everyone be lifted with the tide, As you pour out blessings on your people, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.